0: Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Drs. Alice Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Vanessa e. Burns. You can watch us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube. Today our guest is Bishop Teresa Jefferson Snorton. What is CPE? This was recorded on December 15, 2020.
1: It is. So today uh, we have none other than the Bishop Teresa Jefferson Snorton, who is the 59th Bishop of the Christian Methodist Episcopal mm-hmm. Church. Uh, since it's in founding, she is the first bishop. She served as presiding bishop of the 5th Episcopal District, which includes the states of Alabama and Florida. She previously served as the presiding prelate and bishop of the 11th Episcopal District in East Africa. Bishop Snorton, Jefferson Snorton, comes to us today because she serves on several boards, and I wonder how she manages it all and juggles all of them from the Board of Trustees of Miles College in Fairfield, Alabama, to the Board of Directors of Miles Foundation Service Corporation, the Family Life Committee of the World Methodist Council, the Board of Trustees of the Interdenominational Theological Center. Bishop. Jefferson Snorton is also a member of several boards and organizations, the Central Committee of the World Council of Churches, a member of the Pan Methodist Commission, a member of the Board of Trustees of Phillips School of Theology, a member of the Advisory Board for Candler School of Theology at Emory University, and a great proud member of Alpha (coughs) Sorority, Incorporated. (coughs) Her Bachelor of Arts degree from Vanderbilt University, Master of Divinity degree from Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, Master of Theology degree from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, postgraduate certificate in patient counseling from Virginia Union, Uh, I'm sorry, Virginia Commonwealth uh, University and the Doctor of Ministry degree from United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. Let me introduce to some and present to others, my BFF and friend, a wonderful, powerful woman of God, Bishop Teresa Jefferson Snorri.
0: Welcome. Good afternoon. Welcome. Good to be with
2: you with you all today. You as well. Thank Thank you for the thank you for the invitation. And uh somebody's got on some sweaters. What are what are those things y'all wear?
0: don't start nothing nothing. but but since y'all got the vice president of the united states we'll absolutely we'll give you you a moment we'll give you a moment alpha
2: Alpha, alpha women lead lead. always out front first You, do you have some questions, Dr.
1: Wallace? <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, we entitled this session today as, what is CPE? And our first question, uh, Bishop Snorton, Jefferson Snorton, is, I'm so used to saying Snorton, but it's it's Jefferson Snorton, forgive me. Um, how are you doing in the midst of COVID-19? Wow, that's a powerful question.
2: Uh, And however I answer it now, two hours from now, it might be a totally different answer. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that back and forth kind of represents how I'm doing and how a lot of people are doing during this pandemic. Um, One of the things that kind of strikes me is that when this first happened and everybody kind of went into safety mode and lockdown mode back in March, we all thought it was temporary. We thought, a month, two months, and uh, after, you know, around summer, when summer set in and this was not going away, oh, we thought, well, surely by the end of the summer, and it did not go away, and now here we are, now I believe into the ninth month, and it just seems like it will not end. That kind of um, uh, transition that's protracted, I think, puts everybody in, in a liminal space where you really don't know what the next day is going to bring. And um, so I'm really trying to live into that, that scripture mandate that says, you know, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow has enough trouble for itself. And and that um, uh, colloquialism one day at a time. So today I'm doing fine. Today, all is well. Uh, today, uh, you know, I, I feel blessed and just glad to be, Uh, healthy and well and able to continue the ministry.
1: Amen, Bishop.
2: Um, So what in the world is CPE? Well, CPE, that stands for Clinical Pastoral Education. Clinical Pastoral Education. Uh, CPE is a unique form of preparation for formal ministry that I kind of got into accidentally when I was in seminary. Uh, I was looking for something to do uh, the summer between my first and second year of seminary. And someone suggested, well, have you done CPE or have you thought about CPE? I had not, didn't know what it was. But once I got into my first uh, CPE experience, I basically fell in love with that model of education. Uh, CPE is um, based on... a, a uh, Educational model of action reflection. Uh, I'm I love the classroom. I've been a classroom teacher, uh, both at the elementary school and at the uh, seminary level. But uh, CPE is not classroom education per se. It's experiential. Uh, We call it the action reflection model. Uh, Those who enroll in CPE are invited to go and do ministry and then come back to your learning environment, your learning group, and reflect on what you've done. Talk about how you felt. Talk about how your own story may have informed what you did or did not do in ministry. It really is uh, an effort to have people uh, who are in ministry become integrated so that your own shadow your own unresolved uh, issues don't trip you up and don't get in the way. So it's a very dynamic, uh, experiential, uh, risk-taking. You have to risk being vulnerable to share maybe parts of your story that you don't like or you're not proud of or uh, share unresolved wounds that need need healing. But it's all for the purpose of being a wounded healer. In other words, your wounds don't define you, but your ability to lead others to a healing path is what defines your ministry.
1: Amen. Amen. Uh, And some of us have been fortunate enough to take more than four units or eight units of CPE uh, to become uh, clinical certified ACPE educators. So um, there is an association that grounds us and that we are uh, members of and take all our money sometimes, but uh, explain the benefits of pastors, because a lot of the uh, viewers here are, are pastors, some are educators, but many are pastors. Explain what the benefits of being exposed to a, at least a unit of clinical pastoral education brings. Well, let me start with
2: a personal story. Uh, I actually was um, serving as an assistant pastor in my home church for three years before I went to seminary. And uh, it was during that period of time that the pastor that I was working with gave me the opportunity or really gave me the assignment of visiting uh, the church members when they were in the hospital. And it was something that I looked forward to do. It felt meaningful, but I realized that I really didn't know what I was doing. Uh, That came home to me one day when I visited a member of the church who had had his leg amputated. And I'm going to read him some scripture. So I flip open the Bible and I start reading the passage and I get to the verse that says, and he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. And I burst out laughing myself. Because I, the irony of that moment and the inappropriateness of that text struck me, I, I think I was blessed that day because the patient was on the pain medicine that I don't think he heard what I said or, or realized the impact, nor did he notice that I was laughing. But I, I really just I, I didn't didn't I didn't know how to do that kind of ministry intentionally. My heart was in the right place. Uh, I'm a child of the church, a uh, child of the parsonage. So I grew up, I knew the Bible, I know Sunday school, I know prayers. You know, I I knew how to do all those things. But the the finer point of bringing meaningful care to someone who say for example had surgery. I I just didn't I didn't have a grasp of that. So when I had when I took my first unit of CPE, it was like, "Whoa! Okay. Now I understand why this is important." It's really important when when somebody is hurting, when somebody is wrestling with a hard decision, or suffered a great tragedy or great loss. We don't need to be cryptic and and just say you know all these holy platitudes. You know everything gonna be all right and. You know, the Lord will make a way somehow, and He don't put any more on us than you can bear. Yeah, those things bring some measure of comfort. But but there are some situations where those kinds of statements just absolutely don't make any sense. Uh when people are experiencing real tragedy or things that they just don't understand, where is God in the midst of this? So CPE for someone who is a pastor, uh, but particular and also for someone who's a chaplain, but even for someone who's just gonna be a local pastor. You need to know how to deliver care in a way that makes sense for the particular situation. And in CPE, we say for the living human document that is right there before you. There's no uh, pat answer uh, to anyone because someone who suffered a loss is probably not going to grieve or have the same feelings that somebody else had. And so the pastor has to has to have the savvy. and and the ability uh, to practice what I call the art of pastoral care. In other words, you take what you hear the person saying, and you help them make sense of their experience. That requires uh, skill, and CPE helps you cultivate that skill, but it helps you cultivate it in the context of seeing yourself as a participant in the divine human encounter.
0: All right, thank you. Thank you, thank you, uh, Bishop. If we may we have, a, we have a question if you're able to see that coming from a Byron Smith um, on the side? Um, can you see, are it? You able to see it? Um, Dr. Wallace, you're able to read it for no, I don't
2: even yeah, I can it. see it. Okay. Uh, okay. Please explain how CPE and clinical counseling can work together for the life of the church. Well, CPE is, is the training, uh, clinical pastor education that that's the Uh, the education, the preparation, clinical counseling is a service that then you would deliver in the church. Now, let me be very clear. One unit of CPE does not qualify you to be a counselor. What we have to understand in the church are there are different levels of pastoral care and counseling. And as pastors, we are doing the basics. We are the front line. We're the first Uh, first spiritual responders, the first people that people often turn to. And so we need to have kind of the ABCs, the basics uh, of doing pastoral care. If you want to go into clinical counseling, that requires a lot more CPE, uh, some additional coursework at the graduate level, uh, some practicums, uh, and clinical supervision before you would get that credential. But a church, uh, I I was privileged to work at a church that had a counseling ministry. Uh, This was in the suburb of Atlanta several years ago. And it was a very meaningful ministry because the members of the church knew that they had someone that they could turn to and come and talk to uh, beyond just Sunday morning or beyond just coming up to the altar for prayer. And uh, it, it's a very meaningful ministry. We just need to make sure that uh, if we're going to offer those kinds of services, that the service providers have the right credentials.
0: Um, Bishop, one other thing. Uh, Ledefia Boyd um, says she's walking with a very dear sister now who's battling cancer. And oftentimes I don't know what to say or do. It's exceptionally hard now because of COVID. What What would you suggest to Well um,
2: We have several um I guess kind of foundational um, uh, mantras in CPE and in the in cl- pastoral care, and one of those is being versus doing. One of the 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 things that we often feel is that it's our doing that makes the difference. We want to do something. I can remember being a young chaplain and and I wanted to go get. People a glass of water, or or go get a tissue, or because it felt like I need I need to do something. And really, the the deepest pastoral care uh, really comes out of our being. So to that sister who's walking with someone who's battling cancer, just being there, although it may feel like you're not doing anything, just just being there, calling and saying hello. You're on my mind today. Hello, I'm thinking about you. Uh, just just being present. Uh, the ministry of presence is another way to talk about it. We really underestimate and devalue that. Uh, if you've ever had a difficult experience or been through an experience, most of the time you remember who was there. You may not remember what they say, but you remember that they were present. So just being present, uh, being, being willing to listen. Uh, listening is absolutely important to doing good care sometimes it's preachers we want to talk and do all the talking but the ability to listen and say what's on your heart today um, you know what what are your thoughts how how is today looking as opposed to last week or you know as you journey with people inviting them into a space where their experience is, is given validity and it's okay to talk about their experience because you know, one of the things that happens a lot of times when people are dealing with difficult things is people don't want to talk about. it They say, "Oh, oh it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right." When someone has a, a a terminal diagnosis, they might want to talk about how they feel about the thought of dying, and and family members, and even sometimes the creatures can say, "Oh, you don't need to talk about that now. God's going, you know, God's got you. God's no." If that's what's in your heart, you really need to talk about it. That that whole notion of lament—we uh, read in the Bible the, the the notion of lamenting is very healing and very cathartic. And a lot of times, people don't have the space. And a good pastoral care provider will provide that sacred space where where the person can really just just be. If they're upset with God, they can be. If they're wondering and questioning they can be. If they're excited, if they're sad, depressed, it's creating that sacred space.
1: Bishop, sometimes uh, ministers and particularly pastoral care providers, we talk about a non-anxious presence when we are sharing our story and allowing others to share their story without trying to fix them. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about a little bit about what it means to be in touch with your own story, so much so that you provide a non-anxious presence? Well, uh, a non-anxious presence doesn't
2: mean that uh, you are without anxiety. (laughs) It means that your anxiety is contained enough and you've worked through the intensity enough That it does not get in the way. So um, if I have unresolved issues, say, say, for example, I'll give you a good example. My second child uh, had meningitis shortly after he was born. Uh, six weeks, he he nearly died. It was a very terrifying experience for me as a as a new mother, as a young mother. And then shortly after that, I changed jobs. I left Kentucky and went to Richmond, and I was assigned to the special care nursery. Now, mind you, I'm anxious about my child every day. I've moved him to a new environment, uh, new doctors, new everything, and now I'm the chaplain for a special care nursery. Every child that I visited with that day, when I went home that night, I became convinced that my child had that too. Brain tumors, because I had not worked through my own anxiety about my own child. My anxiety was real. It was fresh. And fortunately, I was blessed to have a CPE supervisor who said, let's move you to another unit. Because I was not being helpful. Even, even if I was saying the right things and, and, and doing the right things, and even sometimes some of us are, uh, what's the word, uh, skilled enough to mask our own feelings, I was a nervous wreck. <laughs> I was going to burn out fairly quickly because the issues that the parents were experiencing were too close to my own. So when you do CPE, CPE asks you to take a look at your own story. And what's unresolved? And I've had a number of students say, well, I don't have anything unresolved. If you're alive, if you have lived, you have something in your life that is informing you about what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, uh, what success is and what failure is. And CPE invites you to unpack all of that because when you unpack all of that, Sometimes it's not necessarily anything tragic, but it's simply the culture or or the context in which your ministry evolved. You can begin to say, now, when does this work for me? And when does this get in my way? When, when, uh, When does my talkativeness help me? And when does it become a liability in my ministry? It just invites you to look at all of that and, and, resolve it. In other words, not get rid of it, but come to terms with it. So you can become, I guess the best word is self-monitoring. You can be in the midst of a pastoral care situation and you can be saying to yourself, Ooh, I'm talking too much. Let me stop. (laughs) You're not saying it out loud, but in your own mind, because you recognize this moment is not about me and my story. It's about this person. I've said enough. So it really is a, this, Inviting you into this integrated space where your internal self is aware not only of of self, but also um, aware of how yourself can be of help to someone else or how the resources that you have, uh, maybe through praying, through scripture, through a referral, how that could be a useful tool of ministry. That's a long answer to a very short question.
1: (laughs) That's okay, Bishop. You have done some very phenomenal things, but none uh, more exciting uh, than having a phenomenal women's conference, but also uh, founding the Academy for Public Theology, where the pastors of the CME Church who want to become in full connection Uh, can take a unit, uh, an equivalency unit of clinical pastoral education. So can you talk about the importance of every church, especially the Black church? No, the Black church uh, (laughs) needs to consider um, having that arm of ministry that provides the training that ministers who may not have the funds to do seminary and CPE, but can find the training and the tools for clinical pastoral education through Mm -hmm. the Academy of Public Theology. Well, I was
2: blessed to serve uh, 12 years as the executive director of the National Association of Clinical Pastoral Education. Uh, When I got elected bishop in 2010, I moved out of that position. But um, that gave me a a good overview. And one of the things that I was keenly aware of, uh, I was aware of where we had CPE programs, but I was also aware of where we did not have CPE programs. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers now, but during my tenure, there were a little over three hundred some odd CPE centers. Many of them are located in um, hospitals, uh, in urban areas. but uh, so much so much of the black church experience is also in small town America, in rural America, and there are just so many pastors who don't have access a CPE program and that was certainly the case in the CME Church. so when I became Bishop one of the things that that I set out to do was to um, increase access make make something available and that's where the Academy for Public Theology was born and uh, Dr. Wallace Brenda I give you credit that's your you came up with that <laughs> uh, that was uh, your your way of uh, helping us capture what we're trying to do. Uh, academy in terms of teaching and equipping, uh, but public theology, equipping folks to really address the kind of ministry that you're being called on to do in the uh, 21st century. So we have a variety of programs, uh, one of which is our Connectional CPE program, uh, it is an equivalent program to uh, other CPE programs in terms of its structure and design and clinical requirements. But enable it enables folks who are not able to do a traditional unit of CPE because of distance or they might have a full time job or there may not be a center close by uh, to enroll in CPE. We try to structure it off of a intensive model where there's some intensive weeks. uh Three or four consecutive days, and then during the interim, for two or three months, everything the courses happen, the classes happen online, and then there's another intensive period of three or four days, and then for three or four months, uh, instruction happens online, and and um, the students present their um, uh, clinical work and all that. So it's really a model designed around uh, giving people access, and we also don't have, like some of the programs that are in university settings, they have some fairly rigid um, educational requirements that a number of pastors may not be be able to meet, like having a a college degree or seminary degree. So the program is open to everyone, not just CMEs. We've had some other folks, but it is intended to help. Uh, In 2014, the CME church voted that from that point forward, Any new minister would be required to have one unit of CPE prior to being eligible to um, become a member, what we call in full connection. In other words, to have full clergy rights. So you might be able to be ordained, deacon, elder, but CPE, uh, I'm really proud of our church for thinking uh, so um, before being so forward thinking and saying, no, this is important. You must do it. So we're in our, what, fifth year? Is
1: this our fifth year? Or sixth? In 2010, we did the pilot, Uh I believe. And it's now we're in 2020. Mm -hmm, But I'm talking about since uh, we started doing it under the academy.
2: Yeah.
0: Because the first couple of years, the first couple couple of years we
2: did it, as a, as a satellite of an established ACPE program.
0: Um, Bishop, um, Vanetta Anderson is asking, is this a virtual program?
2: Well, right now it is, but that's because of COVID. Uh, But prior to that point, your intensive weeks were uh, in person. And then your interim, your classes during the interim months, those, those were virtual online, but right now we've migrated everything to an online space. One of the reasons why this is important, uh, you know, the virtual world really can't substitute. um, All of us, I think, have learned it. We we make do, but we really want the experience to be maximum. So uh, in the future, even as we resolve the issues with COVID, uh, we will be reinstituting some of that time, some of that in-person time.
0: Um, So it's really a hybrid. Um, Bishop Reverend Crittenden asked, how can we support this program?
2: Well, I'm not sure how she wants. Well, uh, if you know somebody, uh, obviously there is tuition because you get books and your notebook and your supervision. Uh, so uh, if you know somebody who needs to take CPE or wants to take CPE, uh, give them a scholarship, help fund it. It's, it's, our program right now is only $500. That's a little under market uh, because we're very sensitive to the economics of many of our pastors. But the best way to support the program is to help others get enrolled and become a part of it. All
0: right. um, Bishop, we have better godparents um, who's asking, how does the CME Church actively engage youth to introduce pastoral care? And as a future option in their faith journey and professional development?
2: <laughs> well, I would, I would say, um, and I guess I can do this because I'm a bishop, I think we're doing a poor job of it. I think in the Black church, we continue to um, reinforce and, and hold up the preaching moment and the Sunday worship moment as kind of the pinnacle of the church experience. And I think we really are missing out on um, helping our youth really grasp discipleship, uh, introducing them to mission programs, helping them understand how they can be prayer partners and prayer warriors. Uh, It's probably, uh, unfortunately, something that we need to take a lot more seriously. I think it's happening in some churches. I've met some tremendous youth who you can tell they've really been discipled and nurtured an area of growth for the CME church.
1: Looks like she has uh, frozen there, but one one of the things that uh, Bishop's uh, Jefferson Snorton asked me uh, a couple of years ago was to look at how our children, how our youth could become missionaries. Because in the black church, there were, there were, and in the black community, uh, many of the missionaries who decide to make that their life's ministry fail to become um, formal missionaries. And Part of the reason is because of of economics. Our children um, usually run and get jobs and and to get through school, they got loans. So one of the things that our youth need to be cognizant of is if you're going to do that kind of missionary uh, ministry, you really need to be debt-free, completely debt-free. So that's one of the things that hinders our community from becoming a part of the uh formalized uh, and it's, it's it's very rewarding work because they get to travel they get to travel to countries that they probably would never have had an opportunity to visit so um some of the things that we can uh help our our, our youth in is looking at becoming how they may become missionaries in their own denomination are the are their own churches. Bishop, I was sharing with them um, how you'd ask me to look at how we could get our youth into some missionary uh, functions that will help uh, foster the church and help them as well.
2: Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I don't know what happened with my internet, but as a matter of fact, a few years ago, uh, we did... Um, Take some college students from Miles College and Talladega College on uh, two mission trips in response to tornadoes. Uh, one group went to um, uh, Texas, can't think of the name of the town right now. And the other group went to uh, South Florida, to Miami and Fort Lauderdale, and did community service. And those students, uh, I still have some of the reflections that they wrote. Uh, one student who had had a lot of trouble in his life um, commented how life-changing it was for him to realize that he really had been blessed. Mm. And um, some of the students, one of the things they did in Miami was um, clean the yards of some of the senior citizens. And some of the students had never used yard equipment before. And so they got to learn how to use a lawnmower and a weed whacker. And for them, it was like, wow, this is really cool, because that had not been a part of their own experience. Um, And uh, it's amazing when when you take people uh, and put them in a context where they realize they do have something to offer. It does facilitate a lot of spiritual growth.
0: Absolutely. Um, um, there yeah. were two questions, yeah. questions that came. Um, one was where can one find a CPE internship in the age of COVID? And the other question is, is the Connectional CPA, CPE program available in the Atlanta area?
2: Well, the Connectional program is just that connectional. It means we're everywhere. So you don't have to be in a particular place. Uh, to have the pro, to, to be a part of the CPE program Uh we're, we're redoing our website, but the Academy for Public Theology dot com. Um, and uh, I see somebody asking when the next class starts. The next class uh, starts in. Um, August of next year. So we are working overtime this year. We had one group that started in September. We have another group that's starting in February. But both of those classes, uh, the February class is full already. Uh, so the next one will start in August. Uh, but check our website, uh www.academyforpublictheology, just spelled out as one word, dot
1: com. And Yes, there are ways in which you can get into traditional CPE programs. Um, however, uh, again, it's a matter of economics for, the black, for black folk. Um, there is a program, and in, in most, if you have a VA, uh, Veterans Administration, in your location, CPE is free to any student. However, there are, as Bishop said, very stringent um, requirements before you are accepted. They're looking for not only a bachelor's degree, but they're looking for a master's of divinity degree or equivalent, as well as they're looking for endorsement from your denomination. So there are some uh, stringent uh, requirements to get into a free program, uh, But other centers, they run between six um, and some programs they have strictly online run for $2,400 for one unit of of CPE. So it's it's inexpensive and it's a commitment that you have to make uh, to become become pastoral care uh, proficient. And one of the things just,
2: I like, uh, what you said, uh, about commitment, because one of the things that, um, we have discovered is that, uh, sometimes it's just the simplest things that undermine your effectiveness as a pastor. So we had one student, very astute, very caring, uh, very, uh, much uh willing to go out in the streets and talk to the people uh you know, regardless of whether they were members of the church or not, but he had a time management problem, and the way we figured it out was because he was late turning in everything it didn't matter whether it was a one page paper or a ten page paper. He was always late turning it in, and so it wasn't too long before we started asking, what is this all about and he began to see how. His time management issue was also a part of his issue in his pastoral ministry, and you know sometimes so so we can think sometimes that everything's okay and everything's fine, but it's those kinds of discoveries that you can make in CPE that can really help you become much more effective. Um, One of my pet peeves is is around the issue of boundaries. I think that uh, Black pastors in particular don't have good boundaries. Um, and and what, what does that mean? So one good boundary is to, to have enough um, uh, uh, value of oneself to take care of yourself. Go to the doctor. You are not invincible. Uh, there, there is a boundary around your physicality. You can't do everything. You can't be everything to everybody. You can't preach a 100%. Oh yeah, I had them in the aisle sermon every week. And if that's your standard for measuring your success, you're going to burn out. So That's one way you have good boundaries. Another way to have good boundaries is how do you empower others? How are you delegating? How are you helping other people use their gifts? How are you equipping the saints that are in your care? We have so many pastors who try to do everything. Uh, I had a pastor once who was preaching and playing the piano and the worship leader and taking up the offering. I'm like, wait a minute now. Somebody else can do this. Uh, and, and then um, also, I think as, as Black pastors in particular, because historically the Black pastor has had to be the model for the community, the spokesperson for the community, uh, he or she was not allowed much humanity. And when you lose your humanity uh, as a pastor, you really become ineffective. You, you are not God. You're not larger than God. You're, you're not the Messiah. Uh, and, and when you lose that, uh, you, you really lose the ability to interface with people where they are. People need to know that the pastor is real. Uh, now, in the black church, we have this really interesting dynamic because we love to put our pastors, uh, our presiding elders, our bishops, we love to put them up on the pedestal and, and and uh, you know, have them like our little deities. Oh, yes, that's Pastor so-and-so. Yeah, I'm under Pastor so-and-so. But, but the reality is they're of much more value to us when they're like Jesus. Jesus walked and talked with the people. <laughs> he, he sat down and ate with with the desirable folks and the undesirable folks. He was there, right there in the midst of the community. And in times like these, how vital is it that we as pastors, as Black pastors, aren't a part of the community to hear what people are experiencing and what they're needing uh, around COVID, what's happening to them around issues of racism and, and systemic discrimination, uh we, we really need to be with our people and not just cloistered somewhere. And, and we make a, a once every seven day appearance in, in the pulpit uh, to proclaim a word as if now we've done some good ministry.
1: Bishop, uh, uh, Dr. Burns, are you going to ask the question? Of, I want to say Reverend Boyd.
0: I I don't I don't see her question. I only see a statement.
1: Well, she had a a question. I thought about around. Um,
0: There's the one that says people having funds to pay for their education. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Okay, so that is an issue with with uh, the elitism of our society and those who do not have. They go to school. But they are are they have to take out many loans in order to finish school, and then they go to a three charge church maybe, and they might make twenty thousand dollars, but their student loans are in the hundreds and fifty thousand dollars. So um, one is we have to be cognizant, and there may be other ways of getting that uh, education, which I think the um, the Academy for Public Theology can't answer some of those, some of those ministry questions? Well, well, first, let me say for the Academy, we don't turn anybody
2: away because they can't pay. Uh, we, we encourage you to ask your local church or judicatory or bishop or someone uh, to help you with scholarship. And if that doesn't help, then we'll try to help find you some resources. We have students that pay us the, the tuition and a payment plan. Uh, so we try not to let that be an issue. But it is it is something of value and something that people will value when they put their own money or when they put some literally skin in the game. So um, uh, so we're not going to turn any away Went away for connectional CPE because of that. Now, let me say a thing about the student loans. Um, I serve as the chair of the board of the of the ITC, and we are really this is an issue that we are really talking about very actively and very vividly, and that's the issue of student debt. Uh, we're trying to figure out. Uh, we're in a market, and and the market, you know, has created this monster of student debt. But we're really trying to take seriously how we can do this differently. And um, if anybody has any ideas, I'd be glad for you to send it to us. But we, this is something we've got to get a hold of. Now, I will say to those of you who are getting student loans, be wise in what you use your student loan money for. Uh, I say to students all the time, it's okay to be poor on purpose. (laughs) It's okay to 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 make some sacrifices and not get your nails done and not drive the biggest finest car. And, and because you're, you're trying to do something, uh, you're investing in a, in a future that's going to outlast a temporary time of of sacrifice. Uh, So be careful um, and, and monitor your own student debt and know when you need to get some consultation. If you don't know how to do budgeting, Uh, if you, if you lack that financial literacy, if you don't have a savings account and you can't figure out how to do that, those are conversations that you should try to find somebody to have. And uh, I know all of these women could point you to all kinds of resources so that you don't uh, at the end of the day, find yourself in that very difficult spot of having all this debt and then having a church that you can barely uh, survive off of. Um, the other thing that that I do think that tent making ministry <laughs> is is a model that still makes sense. You ought to know how to do something else. If you don't have any other marketable skills uh, uh, in ministry, it, you're gonna you're gonna face some challenges because uh, you know all pastor salaries are paid through voluntary donations called off tithes and offerings. <laughs> and uh, so, I would also encourage you to. Uh, and keep your skill set around. I I kept my teaching certificate. I left the state of Kentucky in 1987 and I kept my teaching certificate in the state of Kentucky active for about 15 years. So that just in
1: case. <laughs> uh, Bishop, we we got a little time left here, uh, but I would like for you to talk about a little bit about how, as you've already said that the uh, connectional CPE doesn't turn anybody away, but uh, how can other African-American denominations um, uh, offer CPE and maybe use a similar model to the academy? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There are things that we, I, I have, I do have a passion for teaching uh, pastors who don't have any education mm-hmm. because some a lot of times they have a heart for the people they have a heart for ministry that just don't have the education now I'm hard on them I'm not going to be easy on them just because you don't have any education uh, but there are ways in which uh, other denominations can replicate we don't have to have the only uh, model on on the street. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for those of you who are listening in, Dr.
2: Wallace is our lead faculty. Uh, we have some other faculty assistants that work with her in the Academy for Public Theology. And she is an expert in uh, uh, accreditation and what an accredited program looks like and what elements you must have. So uh, I don't know whether she would volunteer her services or not, but she certainly could. Uh, and, and I could as well put you on someone in touch with someone who could uh, serve as a consultant. I think uh, one of the uh, uh, big regrets I have is that the traditional CPE is still fairly exclusive and does not really um, uh, reach folks who really need CPE. Folks who really need to be equipped, and that's uh, particularly in the black church, in the non-denominational, uh, in the in the churches that are not the mainline uh, churches. Um, but you know, it everything has its niche. But uh, we're as a black people, as as people uh, of the black church, we're used to creating what we need. <laughs> we're used to uh, creating our own, and this is something that we can create. Uh, ourselves, We can create as many CPE programs as 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 needed. I would just caution you to make sure you're using credentialed people to help you establish what you what you want to uh, what you want to accomplish.
1: I'm laughing because I've got some of my students our former students on the chat that are that's saying you are definitely hard on us. LOL. And that's the truth, <laughs> you don't get away, you don't get away.
0: Um, we have a question, Dr. Wallace, you want to read that from uh, Shazetta Thompson-Hill.
1: Okay, she says, I certainly think the question of how the institution is dealing with the issues of student loan debt concern is vital. However, I would also offer that Connectional Church must also do the greater work of looking toward how it creates spaces where the pastors can reasonably expect a live, uh, uh, is that live available livable. Wage? a livable? Available. I think she's saying livable, um, a wage. And is this a conversation on the denominational level? Well, um,
2: yes and no. Uh, I know that uh, as we are in our strategic planning process, the college of bishops and the general officers and our commission on life and witness, you know, this is one of the issues that we're keenly aware of. Uh, the challenge is that the local church actually sets the salary and they often do that based on whatever resources they have. So how do you at a connectional level um, uh, adjudicate that? How do you, how do you, Make that happen. Uh, For those of you who may not know, the CME Church did, oh, maybe 20, maybe 30 years ago, did put a minimum salary in place. And it was actually in the Book of Discipline. I think it was something like $12,000 a year, which even at that point really wasn't a livable wage. But they eventually, uh, the General Conference eventually voted to take it out because it it was impossible to implement. So um, I, I think the question. Uh, is bigger than just the living wage. I think for me, the question is, what do we need to do as a denomination or what do we need to do as a black church to reclaim our vibrancy and our relevancy? Uh, in, in some ways we have, um, I, I don't want to s- sound too negative, but it's like we're just kind of stuck in one groove and we do the same thing over and over every week. And of course, you know, the definition of ins- insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. And so how do we uh, become more relevant uh, when I think about millennials and Gen Zers like my grandchildren? You know, how how can the church be more meaningful and more relevant to their lived experience? Their lived experience is, is not like mine. Uh, so I think a larger question beyond just salary uh, is is the vibrancy and the relevancy of a church? Because I'm always of a mind that when something is vibrant, when something is relevant, it gets funded. It, 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 the money comes, uh, the resources that you need come. But it's because of the meaning of the experience that people are having. Uh, so uh, maybe that's really our problem. Is is I don't think that uh, we have a lot of poverty in our community, but we also have a lot of wealth in our community. And I don't think we're maximizing. I think what we're doing with our wealth uh, often is—I um, <laughs> don't want to say squandering it—but we spend a lot of money on consumables, and we're not really investing uh, in in the spiritual life and ministry and community like we could. And if our churches were a little more uh, uh, vibrant, thriving, uh, serving making meaning. Uh, I think we would see the, the resources and the wealth that that is required to fund that. Thus, pastor salaries would be increased.
1: Thank you so much, Bishop. Um, it has been an awesome uh, hour of power. And we thank you so much for sharing with us your expertise and your lived experiences with the church and with C- with CPE. Thank you. So may much. I do? May I have
2: one more moment to do one yes. more one more plug? I, I'm also a mentor for um, uh, the Doctor of Ministry program at Payne Theological Seminary. And uh, this past May of 2020, we graduated the very first pastoral care cohort. Uh, so if you are interested in um, Uh, Pat, being a part of a DMIN group focused on pastoral care, we're starting another group in January. Go to painseminary.edu and you'll find the application. uh, The first intensive week is the last week of January. And of course, the MDiv is required to get into the DMIN program. But I would love to have some some of these folks who've been chatting with us and, and watching, love to have you be a part of a new pastoral care cohort that we're going to start at Payne Seminary in January.
0: Thank you, Bishop, so very much for being with us today. Hang around for us. We'll be right back. Uh, Dr. Bradford, you want to let us know who our guest is on next week? Yeah. Shout out to Payne. I'm a Payneite. Well, next
1: week we have none other than the Bishop Ann Henning Byfield of the AME Church. She's a poet, she's a psalmist, and a motivational speaker. I tell you, she Mm -hmm. is the bomb. Come on back. Same time, same place. Timely wisdom. See you next week.